Hello, I'm Tim Marlowe, Artistic Director of the Royal Academy of Arts, and this event was part of the Festival of Ideas, an inspiring lineup of talks and debates with innovators from across the arts, brought to you from the new Benjamin West Lecture Theatre. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, good morning. Uh, I'm uh, and welcome to the Royal Academy's Festival of Ideas. I'm Mary Sackville-West, the producer of the festival, and absolutely delighted to introduce our next two speakers who are here to give us the inside track on how to design a best-selling children's book. She is our children's laureate and one of the most brilliant and successful authors and illustrators around. She's created some of the most memorable characters from Charlie and Lola, Clarice Bean, Ruby Redford and Hubert Horatio. And he is a graphic designer, illustrator and author whose favourite medium is picture books. Um, They've been working together for over 10 years. So will you please put your hands together for Lauren Child and David McIntosh. So, hello. Um, so, actually, David and I have been working together, he's just told me, since 2000, so quite a long time. So, that's, that's almost my entire career. And I, I think I was, I was first introduced to David because I think somebody had dropped out of designing a book or there was some kind of emergency, and that's, that's sort of how we met, because he had to sort of take over. And... I remember him, I remember writing him an email to say, you know, I'm really sorry, I I haven't sent you the sketches I said I'd send you, but I've been really busy with with my other publisher because I have to send them some work. And then he wrote back this email saying, oh, right, it's always your other publisher, is it? And, and I got really panicked and thought that he, he was being serious and it was OK. <laughs> no, but that's, that's sort of the banter side of it, yeah. I think, has really helped us um, working on the books, funnily enough. I think it's quite good to have that very easy working relationship. So we do a lot of um, um, emailing back and forth, and, and uh, this is some of the texting um, that goes on too. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think um, I used to work... I met Lauren, uh, I used to work as the picture book designer at a publishing house who published Lauren's, some of Lauren's picture books. And um, every publisher likes to think that their author is just working for them. So I think that was why I reacted that way. But uh, we've worked on... I don't design all of Lauren's books, of course, because you do so much. But uh, I do... Um, we've worked on picture books and uh, reading books um, long for older... Uh, readers like Ruby Redford Um, and I think today we're going to be talking a little bit about both at the same time so it'll be illustrated books generally I thought we'd be talking about and and I think that I think the next picture shows you um, just how dedicated we are this is me in LA um, talking to David on the phone and I went because it was before Skype so there was there was one of those little kind of cameras. It's on Venice Beach, and there was one of those cameras that, you know, I can't remember what they're called, but anyway, it's just, you, it's like a webcam thing. Yeah, and, webcam. Yeah, and, and so we worked out that it was there, so then I could sort of wave at David and chat to him on the phone about the book that we were designing, even though I was on, I was on was, holiday, actually. Yeah, the de- detail yeah. <laughs> of the pages she was holding up was very low. Very <laughs> But, um, yeah, a lot of the time... Communicating is a, is a huge part of, of the process. And um, so we do a lot of uh, talking on the phone yeah. and uh, emailing, texting, and, yeah. and also having meetings face-to-face, of course, where we're sitting down with, um, with Lauren's rough drawings yeah. and, and layouts that I'll produce on type, uh, yeah. type layouts and all that kind of thing. But really, it's a back and forth of um, phone calls and emails. And so if you show the next... So David wanted us to show our studios. Now, until, until um, recently, uh, January, my studio was a kind of 
desk that size. And I was going a bit crazy, so I found, finally moved into a space that's, that's really quite big. But yeah. still, it looks like that. So <laughs> <laughs> it just, everything gets covered very quickly. But you, you uh, ever since I've known Lauren, you've had various working spaces, and most of them have been very small. And as a picture book designer, uh, I know I need to have a certain amount of desk space to be able to do the work properly because I like to leave stuff lying out yeah. so that you can, you you're can, constantly yeah, you can keep being your able to back. see it. Yeah. Or pinning stuff on the wall and that kind of thing. But you've always, I've always been amazed at how little space Lauren's had, but now you do have a I lot bet. of space. Huh? Yeah. I know, I, I think one of the sort of reasons for that was because I realised that I think I spend at least a quarter of my working life looking for things rather than actually <laughs> doing anything. So I thought if I have everything labelled, then it will cut, cut me a bit more time. So this is David's studio, which he's rather my, proud of because he thinks it looks very neat. No, I'm proud yeah. of the way I stitched <laughs> the all the pictures way together. Yeah. put it together. But, it's um, good. But it, for me, it's really the tabletops are the main thing. I like having everything spread out. Um, and of course, you need a table for the computer um, and to be able to pin things on the wall. Um, I, I had some questions I wanted to ask you uh, generally. And um, seeing as this is all about the festival ideas, I know you get asked, where do you get your idea from all the time? Yeah. <laughs> um, by younger people, um, but it's a good question because uh, I think my question is that what makes a particular story better as a picture book as opposed to a longer form book? Well, I think that I will answer the word you get your ideas from because I, for many years, until I started doing this job as children's laureate, I think I was answering that question completely wrongly, because I would say, oh, well, it's from conversations overheard, it's from things I see dropped on the ground, it's, it's from staring out of the window, it's from, you know, um, memories, other people's memories, things that pop into your head. But actually, I don't think that's the idea. I think those are the little tiny particles that can become an idea if they collide and join with something else. And things only have a chance of colliding and making a whole idea if you have time to think. And what I've been saying a lot, particularly to children, but also to adults, is it's that drift time sometimes that we really need. So I think sometimes we think we're being very efficient if we're, you know, we're going, maybe you're going to work or to a meeting and you're, instead of thinking about the meeting or what you're going to say if I'm coming to a talk, I'm actually answering some emails. And in fact, that just clutters the brain. And, and I find it's the same when I'm trying to create something, that that time of just staring into space can actually be when all these things start to connect. And you know, it's often why people say they have a great idea when they're driving the car or lying in the bath or sitting on a bus. And I, mm. I think that's true because we have, we have thinking time. Um, and then when it, the, the second question, why an idea I might choose to make it into a picture book or a longer story, I, I don't know if I consciously do that. I, I don't know if I consciously think, ah, oh, this, is, this is definitely a novel. I think it's just, it is what it is. Mm. So um, if I'm, I don't know if I'm, sometimes it's because if I'm writing a story for characters like Charlie and Lola, and I've, I've probably written about seven of those now. There's lots of books out there, but I didn't write them all because they're television books. But that then I'm thinking, what fits those characters? And only a few ideas fit those characters because it's all about the teeny uh, moments in life that can seem very big when you're very small. Um, if, I'm, if I'm thinking about something for character I wrote called Clarice Bean, she's much more sort of philosophical, so they tend to turn into longer ideas. Yeah. So I think, I think they just, they get formed that way. And, and then very occasionally I'm writing a picture book and I can see it's not going to be a picture book. It needs to be longer. 
Yeah. I mean, when you when you're um, pitching or selling the idea to the mm. publisher, um, is it just text usually? I mean, if for a picture book, for example, will it just be in text, the, the story? Yeah, it uh, didn't... But it won't have any visuals or anything at that stage? Not really that... anymore. It used, it used to be. When I, when I started out, obviously, because I'm trying to convince them because they, don't, they, don't, they didn't know that much about me and, and you're, you're really trying to sell yourself and very often failing to because they, don't, they just kind of can't really see it. Once they know your work and how... how the pictures will be in the end, mm. then they sort of trust it. And, yeah. um, and so they'll usually go with a good story if they think, oh yeah, that's gonna work. Yeah. And, and it yeah. often isn't finished. I'll just show them something and if I can get them to believe in it, then I know that I can work it up for them. Well, I mean, uh, I'm asking that question because you can see these roughs that, <laughs> that's a, what was that invisible? Yeah. Charlie and Lola. That's right. Um, and they're really, I've always impressed with Lauren's roughs because when I, when I get to see them, at the point I get to see them, they're very basic like that. And th as you can see, there's no evidence of where any type is going to go. But, but sometimes you're thinking there is. about that at that stage. Sometimes there is. Because if you yeah. went to the next little yeah. thumbnail, you'll see sometimes it's very important for me to show, oh, I've got a different. Uh, which, yeah, that one. That one, yeah. And so then it might be a tiny thing, but it means I can really, um, I can really explain to, to David or... It's not going to go. Whoever, that's all right. But yeah, I'll sometimes just write it in very, very roughly. But I, the reason I don't do amazing roughs, like there are lots and lots of um, illustrators who do these very beautiful... Roughs. I don't know if you do actually, David, because I haven't seen your roughs. Uh, are, yes. are yours quite, are I, no, no, no. Mine are very. Um, if I if I'm planning a picture book out, they're pretty simple. Yeah. Because I don't want to commit to no. something. Uh, I just like to be able to present the essence of what the page is saying along with the yeah. text. Because um, I, I yeah, find the composition essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Because I I think if I. Sometimes if I do too good a rough, I, it just sort of kills that moment of, of yeah. spontaneity with the drawing because I, I, I know it too well and then I think, what's the point carrying on with this? So it, it's quite necessary for me to draw like that. Otherwise, it, it, it's sort of dead by the time I, I make it. Yeah, I, I was, uh, that's a good uh, answer because... Um I had another question about just when I see your artwork, um, you, the physical artwork suggests that it's never, never finished. Yeah. That you, you make notes in the margins saying, I must add this or I must change this. And there's lots of cross-reference to um, other pictures in the, in the narrative. Um, and so it's a real develop, it's, it's always developing. It's always developing. It's not stuck to um, just rendering a, a rough that you did in the first place. I mean, I, I'm a real ditherer, and um, I, I spend an awful lot of time making decisions which might mean moving something a millimetre this way or that way or changing background colours and things. And that, I think that's why collage works very well for me, because if you're quite indecisive it allows that sort of, that movement and things can change. And sometimes what happens, I find, is that you, you're tackling another picture, perhaps later in the book, and what you do there then impacts on what you've done here. And so the whole thing, I might have to go back, I'm doing that at the moment with my latest book, where I'm just having to completely junk something because it's not really working with that anymore and so mm. so there's a lot of that that goes on and I think typographically that happens doesn't it where we come up with better solutions for things um, in fact this is a really good yeah that I example mean, that one the, those drawings on the manuscript there um, are your initial ideas for mm. the text that's in that manuscript but the 
the uh, colour picture there is, is what was published in the book. Um, and so things are always changing from the manuscript to the roughs and then to the final result. And when the typography gets involved, it, that causes a lot of problems in some ways. Yeah, because it, it takes up space. And I, yeah. I mean, I've always been interested in design anyway, and I, I regret that I think when I, when I trained, actually graphic design was a, a very different course than it is now because obviously we have you know, these incredible ways of, of um, learning because of the computer and everything. And when I was at, at art school, it was still that sort of thing of setting letters and, mm. and doing it with kind of rub downs and things. And so that really put me off doing the course and I, I wish I'd done it now. But that's, I mean, I, I caught the tail end of all of that and that's how I was trained as well. So it, I barely got training on computers for typesetting and so on. But um, that says a lot about your artwork, I think, because your original artwork, I don't know if, if anyone gets a chance to see Lauren's original work, um, you really notice it's a very physical process. So it's crafted out of bits of paper and drawings and material, everything. Um, and of course, when it's printed in the book, it's very two-dimensional. But if you see the real thing, um, it's, uh, it's, it's like a, a real physical thing. It's true, and that, that thing where David, because he has to write notes then to the printers and the scanners and everything, and they, they mm. often want to clean up the drop shadow, because there's a lot of shadows on on everything because it's layers of paper. And we always ask them to, to keep that effect because I want people to get a sense that it's, it's actually yeah. like a physical thing that you could hold. Yeah, um, and I, I, traditionally, your artwork would be scanned and um, the designer would have very little to do with it after that, after that point. Um, you couldn't make changes and, and that you'd like to do. But with the digital process now, you can. So when you're making your art, I mean, you must be, this must have an impact on your decision making in, when you're making the picture. I mean, well, if you spill some ink on a part yeah. of the drawing, uh, you don't have to redo no. the whole thing. It could be digitally removed, you know, in Photoshop. Well, I know that because there's lots of things because I, I used. Um, a lot of glue and so there's a lot of jumper fluff and things which then David has to remove <laughs> and you know cups of tea rings of tea on everything I mean I think artists are the worst people for looking after work aren't they I mean there's I always... often a lot of glitter on the artwork yeah. I, I discover which comes from somebody in the audience often, <laughs> I think <laughs> um, yeah. I, I mean all of that is a big part of the part of the process. I mean, nowadays, I don't know if there's illustrators in the audience, but um, a lot of people deliver artwork digitally and, um, you know, that you, you, you're looking at a computer screen at, at the scan of, of your artwork or whatever, if you've made it entirely in the, in the computer and you're really up close. Um, and I think it's slightly different when you're working on a tabletop you, you, can, you can step back away mm. from it, you can hang it on the wall, and mm. it's a, it's, you, you get a different idea of it. You do. And you work at 100% or most of the time. I, yeah, I, I tend to work the same size because then I know how it, how it will look in the book. I, I find it very difficult to work smaller or larger than, than it's going to be viewed. Because yeah. um, I want to get the line weight right as well, and that changes, of course, if you blow it up or shrink it. Mm. Um, I was going to ask David a question, which is about um, at what point you start thinking about the fonts, because th this is, we worked on Pippi Longstocking together, which was, I don't know how long ago that was, 10 12. years, 12 mm -hmm. years ago. Um, and uh, it the kind of search for the right font, I remember that, because you wanted something very, very particular. And mm. in fact, we should go back to that. You can see how designed it was, that, that thing of the steps and 
And yeah, so this one, I wanted her to walk backwards and I wanted you to get the sense that she was walking backwards. And that was quite a difficult thing to achieve in a static drawing, because you, you, how do you make someone really feel that she's walking backwards and not just walking forwards with her head turned? And, um, and so we, we decided we wanted the type to be reversed. I mean, that's um, something that just would have, I probably just tried that. Um, you probably weren't expecting to see that, and there were probably lots of other versions of it. And that was probably the one that seemed to work best. Mm. Um, when Lauren sh shows me her roughs, they're, they, they've always got loads of notes on them saying, I'm not too sure about this, but why don't we try that or try another thing? So it's, it really is just a, um, we try, we yeah. try as, as many ideas as we can and then choose uh, one to go in the book. And I think that was a case, case of that. And then, so I was going to ask you, um, when, you're, when you're choosing um, the typefaces and, and the sort of look of it, look of, you know, how you're going to design, and, and the, the fonts are so key to that, and whether you use more than one mm. font or, um, or just one, um, is, it, is it the story that really clicks with you or is it the personality of the illustrator or is it because you particularly just have a feeling you want to try something very particular no i i tend you, it has a lot to do with the with the style of the artwork of, mm. of, as to what um what's going to work well i mean I, i'm not that experimental with my choice of fonts i don't think but in when working with with you i mean for example, Clarice Bean or uh, Herb, Big Bad Book. Yeah. There were, there were many reasons to have lots of different... There are a lot of different voices in the book, lots of characters. And so we use different fonts for each voice yeah. in the dialogue, in, in the text. So that was a physical reason to have many different fonts. But it's a, it's, it always interests me, that because that was before... I remember when we did that book, we chose many different fonts... Uh, typefaces mm. to use, and that was before the um, all the font foundries had a big clampdown on the use of fonts. Yeah. And I think designers were just using whatever they want they wanted to and sharing fonts. And um, that book was before that yeah. <laughs> that period. So and so um, now to publish that book is going to cost a lot more money to buy the licenses for the fonts. Which is interesting because yeah. I think that's something that I'd, I'd never sort of realised or considered and I think a lot of people won't realise, you know, how much all those, you know, buy, you have to buy all these typefaces. So it makes a difference then to the publisher. It's not just, are we going to print very simply without using a special ink? So you see lots of these beautiful neon inks now and, and really rich inks, but that's going to cost them a little bit more to do mm. that kind of printing. And then it's also, as you say, with the choosing yeah. more than one it's a, font. There is or, a budgetary consideration yeah. as to... But I, 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 yeah, I, I think a book like Pippi works well because there's, um, there's very little sort of fancy sort of messing around with the type in it. But there is some. And when there it's, is some. It, it's offset with some very traditional typesetting. Go back to the one of the... Um, burglars because this is this is this is also what makes makes a book so i had this i when when i was looking through this book trying to think what am i going to pull out what am i going to illustrate and you you're what you're hoping is that that everything you want to illustrate doesn't all clump together at one part of the book because it's got to it's got to evenly go through it but Actually, this is one of the hardest books I've ever worked on because, because the, the type, the, the words, are so integrated with my illustration. That's what I decided, because Pippi is this very anarchic character, and I wanted to show that in the way the whole book was designed and the way the words work with the image. Um, and I always had this, this vision that when I was showing the burglar's torch, that, you know, this would be 
lit up. So these words would be lit in his torch beam. And it seems such a very, very simple idea. But in fact, it took David just days and days to get this right. Because, of course, that has to fall in exactly the right place with the, the page before. And then the page yeah. before that. You know, think, so it, it impacts a lot. I think one of the problems was the, the, the number of pages in the book was uh, finite. And that... <laughs> The, the res, the, where that fell in the book had to leave room for the rest of the book after. <laughs> so it was a real uh, so bit of a problem. And you can see what I had to draw. It's just a little <laughs> tiny hand holding a torch. So, I, you know, but it, it, the, the finished result is so much more than the tiny amount of drawing I had to do. And that's the, and that's the incredible thing about illustration. When you, you work with a very talented designer, it really changes, you know, the, your piece of work. And I've, I've worked with lots of different illustrators in designing their books, but, and everybody works differently. But Lauren always brings lo lots of ideas about how she wants to see, try things. And that's, what's, that's what makes it kind of easy working with you, because you have a very good idea of what you want. You may not know exactly what it's, what, what it's going to be, but you, you have a good idea <laughs> to begin with. Yeah, and we sometimes wrangle, you know, we have a little bit of a, you know, back and forth. I'm yeah. not, not unkindly, <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I think, you know, I like that. I like that sort of thing, someone having an idea and, you Sometimes know. I just leave yeah. what I want there and see if, <laughs> it's if true, she does. It. does. You yeah. usually pick up on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I change it, but it's, uh, yeah, no, that's yeah. true. If I feel very strongly about something, um, there's, there's usually a good reason for yeah. it, but it's, it's always negotiable. But, I mean, that's the same with a good editor as well, and they'll really mm. push you. And I, I work with an extremely good editor, and what I like about her is if, you know, you have actually have a, almost a fight about it, but if, if you convince her, then that's it. She will never, ever make you look at it again because you'll be like, okay, that's a good enough reason. And I yeah, think if that's... Yeah, if, if you, you, you can argue your point yeah. then and yeah. convince everybody it's a good idea, then, then good. If you can't, yeah. then yeah. maybe it's not such a good idea after yeah. all. Another one was this table tennis... Um, yeah, so, so one of the books that... David and I first worked on was a book called Hubert Horatio. So you can show the show the next um, that one. So we worked on this picture book, and um, and that was one of the most labour-intensive picture books I've ever done because um, I wanted it to look like old-fashioned printing. So it looks like it's sort of screened, and you know that lovely thing where they they print sort of black and white line, and then you get all the colour just of going flatly over the edge of it because it's not quite registering properly. And so that took ages to get that right. Um, but we got, we, we got to know each other very well doing that. And then there was, there's a scene in this book where the boys are playing table tennis. And so then all these years later, I've then... Um, uh, we could go, sorry. Yeah. I've written a little novelization of this this world and and there's a picture on pretty much every page and it really it comes from my real love of those Molesworth books which some of you probably know um, and written by Jeffrey Willans and and illustrated by Ronald Searle and what I loved about them is is that thing where you can keep keep um, there's a story, there's a story there, but you can keep making these funny little jokes and asides and there's little um, illustrations that don't necessarily have any bearing on the story, but it keeps, you know, you can keep sort of dipping in and almost read it like you're reading The New Yorker or something and then, and then you come back to a story. And so we were trying to get that kind of effect, even though the, the words are completely different, but I wanted it to have that sense of picture. But this was an idea that, um, I think David had where I wanted to show the butler and the little boy playing table tennis and, and it was just a, quite a clever way of animating the game because by having it as a page turn so you get the sense of people playing ping pong 
do. Um, I think that was your idea. Actually. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I okay. But that's the thing, it all gets lost. And by, I mean, honestly, at this point, I can't remember whose idea is whose because it becomes okay. just a conversation. This is a, a good example because um, I think you, you did it. There's a lot of drawings in this book. Um, there's a picture on every page plus, plus some. Typography. And, and, and it, it, a lot of it interacts with the type, yeah. But um, you, you did a lot of this on the working right into an iPad. Oh, I yes. I, I set myself this challenge because everyone was talking about how brilliant it is to draw on iPads. And, and it, really has, it really has changed since the first rather clunky versions. And, and so quite a lot of it I drew on an iPad. And then I would, I would transfer that to perhaps my computer and do some Photoshop. And then sometimes I would print it out and then work on it in pencil again hmm. or collage again and then perhaps put it back into the computer. So it was quite an interesting way of working. It, in some ways it didn't make it quicker because th that's, <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> that's still, not a very yeah. sensible way of doing it. But, but actually I really enjoyed it and, and I, was trying to get, I was trying to make it not look slick because I think some of the problem with these programs is that they, they're, very, they're very sort of slick and you can get a good effect, but you can see it's an effect. So it's that challenge of can you, can you make it look like it's done with your hands? Mm. Um, and it, well, also because the um, pictures were going to integrate a lot with the type, um, you were working in this not at a not at a hundred percent. You were working mm. at this random kind mm. of scale, mm. and it sort of worked with this book because I, I was having to in, enlarge and reduce pictures uh, as we went along with mm. with the uh, arrangement of the type, which is different to the picture books like we were talking about before. And so that, that is, that's a really interesting one because the, the Hubert Horatio is, a, is a, about this incredibly um, brainy child. He's really, really clever and he's really tiny and he comes from this very, very wealthy family. And, and so the, David's idea for that, <laughs> for, that, for that cover was to make it look like a dollar bill or a pound note. Um, an old-fashioned pound note, and so he went to all these lengths of writing to the, um, oh, yeah. the, the Bank the of England, yeah, <laughs> and saying, "Can I use these elements?" And did you write to the like, well, Americans I, as well? That, yeah, yeah, and I got they, I got approval to do it, but I, I ended up having to do a mash up of a five-pound note and a dollar bill. Yeah, so it's. It's yeah, but you get the sense. So when I show show the cover, often when I'm doing a school visit or something, I show it. They, they'll get that it's money. That's that, mm. that the cover sort of somehow you just know that it's it's to do mm. with with dollar bills and um, and that I find that really interesting. If you can get a little, you're not saying it really strongly, but you, people just know you pick it up. And so I don't think you have to clonk people over the head with it for them to get that sense of the design yeah. and what, what you're trying to say. Um, I mean, Hubert Horatio really, he's, if, if you haven't read it, it's, it's really about this child who's, who's, um, who feels like he has to be the responsible adult in the, in the family because his parents are so frivolous. They're always, they're always playing games, board games and, and tiddlywinks and um, Twister and things like that. And, and he is like the little adult in the family. And, and I, I've met over years many children who sort of feel like they have to be in charge of their parents, a bit like a dog that feels it has to be in charge of its owner. And uh, my, my older sister always felt like that about my parents. She never felt they were quite up to it. And, um, and, so, and I remember that famously this, this day, that's set in my brain of my sister getting hysterical because my mother's tax disc fell off the windscreen of her car and tax discs are, were, were things that we used to have to have to prove you paid your road tax and you'd have to show it on your windscreen and my mother's had just fallen off and was lying on the dashboard and my sister just became completely you know <laughs> tears and shaking and she said you know 
you've got to stick that back on. And my mother going, no, 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 don't worry, it's fine, it's fine, I've got it here. If anyone stops me, I can show them. And, she, and, and my sister was just saying, no, because you know, what's going to happen is you're going to go to prison and then we'll, what's going to happen to us? We're going to have to look after ourselves. So you know, it was even beyond, okay, who cares about you, mum? It's us, you know, what are we going to do? And so my mother had to, I remember her opening the glove compartment in the car and finding these things called green shield stamps, which are a bit like loyalty you know, things now. But back in the olden times, we had these things and you, you know, you'd get, every time you bought petrol, you get a stamp. And then if you collected a whole book of stamps, you could go and choose some really ugly coffee cups or something. And, and, and so she gave up her chance, you know, to win maybe a soda stream. And uh, anyway, so, but that's what she had to do. And, and it was because my sister just felt so much in charge. So really, that's, that's, that was the beginning of that idea. Yeah. I think um, these covers that were just of the novel, the new novel, um, these are not the cover, obviously. These, are, no, no, these were no. all these ideas. Are, these are all ideas that we went through this process. But it was, trying, it was searching for another way to present that kind of... Yeah. The, the original picture book cover, um, but in a different way. And um, there were a lot of different attempts. And they live in this, this incredible house, and he's very clever. And, and so it was David trying to get across all, you know, how... What do we want to bring out? Do we want to bring out his cleverness or mm. the wealth of the family or the amazingness of the house? So. I just wanted to try and make it look good. <laughs> but yeah. There's lots of attempts at it. But, um, uh, yeah, it's all, there's all these classical elements like the columns and so forth. But ultimately, these weren't used. So... Um, uh, yes, it's, it's, so an, it's a long process. It's a long process and a lot of work. I mean, by that stage, in the, in the publishing uh, process, the, the cover is a, there's a lot more people involved with the cover and, and what it's saying from a marketing point of view. Does that, how do you feel about, about that? Covers. I hate yeah. covers. It's my absolute worst point of the book. Because sometimes, very, I mean, not often, but sometimes I have a really clear idea of what might work really well for a cover and be really impactful and work for the story. Um, and very often there's just someone there in these meetings because there, there really will be lots of people because normally you're working, the three of you are working on a book, a designer, an editor, and you. And... And then suddenly there are all these people, and there's people you sometimes feel have just drifted in, um, and and they go, oh, I don't really like green, and you think, <laughs> and and it happened with our we, we did this Charlie and Lola book called Slightly Invisible, and um, and everyone really loved the cover, and then someone said, I don't like grey, and and the, and suddenly everyone's gone, oh my God, I don't think we can do it grey, we can't do it grey, and then mm. you know, and then it all came yes, back to us. And luckily, I had an editor who just went, I think they know what they're doing. And, and it was done. But it, you just don't know what's going to happen. But sometimes they're right. And I always, I always think about that, that film about Mary Poppins, which I don't know if you've seen, called Saving Mr. Banks. And the problem with that title is it means nothing um, until you've seen the film. And when you've seen the film, it's the most brilliant title. But when, when you haven't seen the film, it isn't. And it can be a bit like that with covers. So sometimes mm. one can be too clever with one's idea and you have to let go. Um, I think you also learn a bit from people's input, yeah. of course. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, when it's somebody saying, I don't like that font or, or no. something, that can be quite... Um, annoying, and always the back cover always tends to look better than the front for some reason. Because, because nobody people, comments no on the back cares. at all. But but I think I think it's it's also because I think the publishing industry is much more commercially driven than it was. I think because it's it's harder to make money from books than it used to be, and so I think it's changed. So bookshops have a say in, in what the cover's gonna look like as well. So mm. there's way too many people all wondering what, you know, most people will think. And, and I always think that's a shame. 
You know, as, as a designer, I always want to have that information before I sit down. For example, a, they, they might want to put a, a sticker saying by the, you know, the winner of the Kate Greenaway or something like that. But they tell you that right at the end and, you know, it has to go in the top right-hand corner. But your type is in the top right-hand corner. It's little obvious yeah. things like that. Yeah. I mean, that decision may not be made at the beginning when I want to know it, but yeah. it has a huge impact on how you arrange or compose the cover. Yeah. So um, I always ask up front. Um, the thing I really enjoyed about doing this book, because there are, I can't remember how many pages, you probably can remember, 100 and... 196. Yeah, 196 pages. And so it allowed me to draw things that you would never normally draw um, in a book, because a Chelsea Bun is completely, you know, inconsequential to the story, but I, I just wanted to draw a Chelsea Bun, and, and so I get that, I get that moment where I can, because it's just nice. And, and it's then, not a Chelsea, it's a, in Australia they're called Boston buns. Yeah, well, not in England, okay. No, and, uh, there's a but, bit of confusion so, on that, and then, and then David, uh, there's this, this moment where this family are driving, you know, say from A to B, and I wanted to do it in a particular way, and then David said, oh, I bet you won't draw a car, because, you know, I can't draw cars. So then that challenged me, and I thought, <laughs> okay, I'm gonna draw a car, and you'll see. So that's why there's a car. That's it, <laughs> It's a good car. The other one is um, a horse. Oh yeah, horses. horses. And, and, and so for, for Pippi Longstocking, I, I you know, I really wanted to do that book because it's one of my favorite children's books. And I think she's just one of the most brilliant characters created. And, but the problem is, if you read it all the way through, there's this blimming horse, which she lifts up and it appears all the way through, there's a horse. I can't draw horses. And, and so I had to take it apart so you only see the head of it or you only see the bottom of it or the legs of it. You don't ever see it all together. And, and now we've just been asked to do the second Pippi Longstocking, so there's a big anniversary. And, um, and so I am, going, I am determined to draw that horse more than one piece. <laughs> so I'm gonna get practicing. There's a, bo there's a boat in this one. Yeah, there's a boat too. Yeah. I can do boats. So yeah, <laughs> anyway, and then the next, the next picture uh, shows also how all the clutter that I keep forever ever and ever actually comes in into its own so this is a christmas card when my when my grandmother died i don't know how many years ago now but about 25 years ago we went through her house and she was a hoarder and i found all these kind of old-fashioned greetings cards and things that she'd never been sent to anybody but they were really old and i thought oh, they're interesting and so then i keep them in a in a box and and so when it came to wanting, again, it's not an important picture in the book, but I just thought, oh, I'm gonna use one of those. So it's quite nice. I, I, I can't be, be a minimalist because there's always something mm. that might be useful. And you make things up as you're going along quite a lot. Um, and that was one of those. Yeah. And that was just a photograph in your house. Yeah, I just took a and photograph, the, yeah. Um, and we, we dropped that in. Um, that happens consistently, and thankfully you, do, you use a lot of photogra photographic images in your work I do. anyway. So. Yeah, so that, anyway, that's the key artwork, and artwork. I think that's a good example of <clears throat> one of Lauren's originals, where you can see that it's a lot of layers of paper, and it's a very physical thing, and you know, you can put it in a frame and you can hang it on a wall. Um, it does go through a process, maybe after that it's scanned, um, and then you might say, oh, I really wanted to add something, and we, we, we will add that in Photoshop, you know, or we'll adjust the colour of something slightly. But, but really, your work is um, it's called reflective art. It goes to scan like that, and that's how you would see it in the book. Yeah. And it feels that way. A lot, when, I, when you see um, uh, somebody who works digitally, you can you get a very, or I can get a very strong sense that 
it's been worked on inside the computer monitor, a lot of the cases. It just feels that way. And I don't think, Lawrence, yours doesn't. It has, a, it has a, some sort of, a different sort of integrity to it. I was going to ask you actually what makes, because um, often designers, they, you know, they're very, they can be very sniffy about certain fonts. And what, why, what makes a bad font in your... I, I always sort of, well, there's certain types of fonts I like personally, but yeah. I think technically there's things that are, used to be known as novelty fonts, which I just, you don't like using because yeah. they're not made very well. So yeah. the character set that is, uh, that, that comes with it, that you don't have many of them yeah. because it's been made cheaply and therefore yeah. you don't have, you know, uh, ligatures or something like that that you might want to use when you're setting a book. Yeah. And there, I tend not to use those. I know we have in the past used a few, but they're for comic effect more than anything yeah. else. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to name particular fonts. <laughs> Comic Sans. Yeah, that, no. that's that's a classic, isn't that's it? People a, yeah, hate. I don't think we've ever used that. Um, but this that's just a sort of example of how, and I think the next picture as well of how you can animate what seems like a very static picture by using, you know, <laughs> so you get that lovely feeling of them playing ping pong, and that I always say to to children, you know, that when when you just look at that piece as a piece of art, it's, it's, it doesn't work until the words are in place. And that's the thing about picture book illustration is you are, work, you are working it with words and sometimes things just work beautifully as a piece of art and you don't need the words. And sometimes when I'm working, certainly in this book anyway, the words became so important to the feel of you know, what's going on there so that if I exhibit this picture I always have an overlay of the words because it doesn't it doesn't look right without it yeah you've seen your work in exhibitions and you often have an acetate overlay yeah. with the type on it Be yeah because the picture wouldn't yeah. exist yeah. without the, without the text so. and sometimes I mean the book I'm working on at the moment all the all the type is actually going to run underneath or to the side just because that felt right for the book. So I don't always want everything to integrate or be, you know, exciting mm. typographically, but very often I do. And I think it's partly because I think, you know, all the shapes of the letters can be so beautiful and also how, how it lends itself to the reading of the story and particularly um, in Charlie and Lola, which is really, it's aimed at working for children, uh, you know, of many ages, but from really tiny. So you want them to like the idea of the words and not feel that the words are the thing they don't want to have to deal with. Mm. So I think that can really help. This was a different case, though, the Ruby Redford, because it was a really long-form novel. Yeah, the last book the... was about 100,000 words. And, and in fact, I think those sort of books, they need a designer almost more than any other book because, I mean, I wear glasses now and I find reading much more of a chore than I ever used to. And so I think about that and the spacing between the lines and the spacing between the letters and I want it to be an enjoyable experience reading it. And so often when you look at particularly books for adults, some, some of them are but very poorly designed and they're, they're just trying to get in as many words onto the page because it's, it saves money as well or perhaps they haven't spent the money on the designer but it just makes it an unhappy reading experience so David worked very hard at making them sort of beautiful objects and nice to read and I think we've just got time to whiz through and show you before questions we can so this just looking at proofs of covers and ideas for covers. And it, we've gone back and forth about I, each book. Oh, don't move on too fast. Oh, um, each book 
is a, there are six books, and they're all about the senses. Oh, I mean, well, the theme is, you know, seeing, hearing, smelling, etc. And so I'd had this idea that you would show part of her face on each book, so you would show the eyes on the first book, and then gradually, by the, by the sixth book, you'd know what her face looked like, and you'd see her whole face. But then I hadn't really thought about what it is to show a nose, just a nose on a book. And actually, that wouldn't be very resting. And, and so we decided that just was not going to work. We tried, though. We did try a nose and an ear. Week. But taste, you know, you've got to show a tongue. That's not very nice. So David then came up with this idea of just maybe every book, you have the eyes at the top. And then he thought it would look really nice then if people were sitting on the train or something reading the book the eyes become their eyes and that that was a, a brilliant idea well the other <laughs> the other thing was it wasn't these aren't illustrated books they, they did turn out to have some pictures in them but um you didn't want to describe what ruby looked like no i didn't and so but you that wanted was... that comic comic book sort of yeah uh, they, yeah they're very based on it's yeah. very based on comic books. So I think we now have our two right. roving mics, and oh, right. they're going to... Thank you. you very, that was just fantastic. It was so great to get an insight into you working together. And I had one question yeah. about at what point do you start working together in the design process? Do you tell David as soon as you have an idea and talk it through, or do you go to him once you've mapped it out? Oh, we, I think we're talking really from the beginning so it's usually from once the publishers said yes to the idea of the book then then i know whether who's going to be designing it and i only work with two designers so it's either going to be david or goldie and so then we start talking immediately yeah, yeah it's kind of just starts um when you mention yeah, <laughs> that yeah. it started. It's true. But, uh, yeah. It's obviously an amazing relationship. But I know, I'm sure there are lots of people here who've got questions. So if you can... Thank you very much. That was the most fantastic talk. I hope you both keep working together for the next Thanks, 20 man. years too, creating these wonderful books. Uh, Lauren and David will be doing signings uh, in the foyer. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, have a look at what else is coming up in our brand new lecture theatre at roy.ac forward slash what's on. <laughs>